Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special episode of the Venture Fuel Podcast. Today's show was recorded at our Rogue Women event on May 12, 2020, which we co-hosted with Caroline Lewis of Rogue Ventures. It features Lauren Fritz, Vice President of Marketing for the Chicago Cubs, Skate Knopf Singer, Head of Sports Marketing at Adidas, and Mel Strong, who is the Managing Partner at Next Ventures. Each of them shares how they went rogue in their career, and then we dive into emerging technology, how to harness the passion of fans, all the way to the evolution from game day ticket sales to lifestyle content creators. There are two short pockets of audio that are a little choppy due to the bandwidth issues because of our large streaming audience that day. So please excuse those brief moments. What will the future of sports look like? Take a listen. Hi, I'm Fred Schonenberg, CEO of Venture Fuel. My team travels the world discovering the best startups and technologies to help our Fortune 500 clients. From mixed reality to product innovation to the Museum of Ice Cream, we help businesses discover what is next now. We're bringing this knowledge to you with interviews of top investors, corporate visionaries, and the startup founders creating the future. So buckle up, because here comes the Venture Fuel Podcast. So uh, the hardest thing about this panel will be to keep it on track with time because I could talk to the three of you for uh, hundreds of hours on this subject. Um, Mel, why don't we start with you? Um, and everyone can, can see their background, but if you could touch on, on who you are a little bit. But really what I, I'd like you to focus on is, you know, maybe a moment in your career, a pivotal moment uh, where you decided to go rogue that has led you to where you are. Uh, and then Lauren and Skate, I'd like that from each of you. And then we'll dive into the future of sports. Okay. Yeah. Great. Thanks for having me. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I thought you might ask this question, Fred. And honestly, one of the moments uh, where going rogue was really good for me personally and professionally was attending this event last year. Um, I would say the other moment recently was probably in 2016. Um, I had spent <clears throat> most of my career in sports. I worked as a journalist and writer and editor, and then I was at Nike for almost 20 years and uh, started to get really um, sort of frustrated with how slowly things were moving in our sport um, and in uh, in the sports industry in general. And so um really started to look outside a little bit of the very comfortable space of being in the corporate world. I love the brand, love the people I got to work with, but things weren't moving fast enough for me. And so two moments that really, I think, accelerated my, my next chapter, joining a VC, which is highly um, risky, I guess, uh, although I've loved every second of it. One was honestly 2016 and everything that was happening in the world politically and socially. Um, and feeling like I wanted to contribute in a in a different way. And then second was attending this event a year ago. So uh, this was the Rogue event in New York last May was the first time I ever talked about my Nike experience publicly. Um, I hadn't really, this is so naive to say out loud, but I hadn't really <laughs> expected that to be such a big deal for me personally, or for it to be picked up by the media, which, which as a former journalist, I know is incredibly naive. 
Um, but it was such a good turning point for me of being really authentic about my story as a as an athlete and then a, a leader in the sports industry um, and, and the pros and cons of that experience. Um, and it initiated a whole next chapter for me. Um, and I'm super grateful, honestly, for this community. As Fred said at the very beginning, like it is quite supportive and I've benefited a ton from that. So uh, my rogue moment was this event, Rogue Women, a year ago. That's awesome. Um, and yeah, and, and Skate, I'll, I'll, I'll turn it over to you because, you know, looking at your background has been really interesting. You, you've hit so many different parts of, of sport, soccer in particular, uh, you know, now as head of sports marketing at Adidas. Can you, can you take us through maybe a, a rogue moment that, that you had and, and how people can kind of learn, learn from that? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, you, you kind of already said it, but my entire career path has been rogue. Uh, you know, it's been far from traditional, but, you know, there's that, for me, the key takeaway with it is, uh, while some may view it as rogue, I view it as I created my own path and I jumped with purpose and I've always let purpose drive me. So I've seen, you know, all aspects of sport. You know, I coached at Stanford. I was lucky enough to, you know, play professionally alongside the Mia Hamm, Abby Wambach, Steffi Jones, and some of those icons. Um, you know, and then I broke my neck uh, and that was 2006 and I was coaching and, you know, it, it made me really take a step back and, and think about what is my own purpose in life beyond just being, you know, the identity of an athlete. Um, I ended up dabbling in the Silicon Valley startup life, went back to business school and then found myself uh, in Southern Africa uh, where a former WNBA player, Ruth Riley, uh, another friend of mine, uh, Catherine Wald. We created an organization, um, you know, that, that leveraged art, music, and sport, um, you know, to create locally sustainable economic development opportunities in areas of um, high unemployment and extremely high HIV rates. And the whole idea behind it was you give people a sense of purpose, your decisions start to change. Um, the idea was to help, you know, from a funding perspective there of, of how can you create something that regardless of market flux is still going to survive. And so for me, that's when I really started thinking about like purpose and I have to believe in the work that I'm doing. But it's, you know, then I ended up coming back, uh, you know, and started something called the ECNL, which is Elite Clubs National League. Um, it, you know, went from my dining room table in 20 clubs around the country to the elite female soccer youth platform in the U.S. with like over 13,000 girls. Um, it's like over 90 percent now are going on and receiving college scholarships to play soccer. Um and while there, I got my brand education at Nike and I started, you know, enjoying storytelling and seeing that side of it. Um, I'd say one of the, the most rogue moments, if you disregard just dropping out of business school and going to Southern Africa, um, uh, I got this phone call about um, an MLS franchise popping up in Atlanta. And I was, you know, calling, you know, mentors, uh, trusted resources. And the more I dug into this opportunity, the more excited I got. And then this one guy told me, Skate, if you go to Atlanta and work in sports, that's career suicide. Like, all right, sweet, I'm going. Um, you know, I did it with purpose. And I did it with the thought of, you know, I wasn't there to sell jerseys. I wasn't there to sell tickets. I was there to create a culture and create a community. Um, and a byproduct of that would be selling jerseys or a metric of success would be selling jerseys. It would be selling tickets. Um, you know, we, 
Yes, I was hired to do all those things, um, you know, of, of launching the franchise, of, of opening a, a, you know, incredible stadium in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Um, but, to, but to me, it was, you know, uh, it was building culture and a culture that people wanted to be a part of. They knew how they could be a part of, and it was there to unify a city. And, you know, I focused on the people. I didn't focus on the bottom line. And that was the leadership approach that we took um, there. And I truly believe that when you focus on the people, internal and external, that the rest will follow. And so for me, that super rogue moment of, of literally being told this is career suicide skate. If you go to Atlanta and work in sports where it's the bandwagon town. Uh, and then if you look at Atlanta United today, it's, you know, you know, top, I think it's top 15 in the world in attendance, record setting crowds, uh, you know, retail sales are incredible. And all those metrics have just exceeded all expectations. But at the end of the day, I think the results, you know, that's just a result of us focusing on people and doing, you know, unleashing an, an inner passion that we all have within us. Uh, and then I most recently took that jump over over to Adidas. Um, I was not told that was going to be career suicide like Atlanta. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, I, I think one of the things that's interesting is the, the idea of this panel started taking place last summer uh, when I had lunch with, with Lauren and Skate. And, and I was sitting there listening to the two of them talk back and forth and realized that Skate was running Atlanta United, which had the most passionate fan base I'd ever seen on the soccer side of things. Uh, and it was like, like part of the culture of the city and Lauren uh, is VP marketing in Chicago Cubs, which if anyone's ever been to Chicago or Wrigley knows that like that city drips Chicago Cubs. Uh, so I was very excited to have the opportunity to have both of you uh, speaking on that. Um, and Lauren, can you maybe talk a little bit about uh, you know, sort of your rogue moment, but the way I, I remember the Chicago job, uh, when it popped up, VP of marketing for the Cubs, like that was a hot, hot ticket. Everyone was on it. One of those coveted jobs in sports uh, and baseball has a little bit of reputation for hiring baseball people uh, for these roles. Uh, and, and you're a more traditional CPG marketer. Um, can, can you talk about how you how you landed that job and, and, and if your rogue moment led to that or if there was something else uh, on your end? Yeah, um, it, it was interesting when the opportunity surfaced because prior to being with the Cubs, I had spent 12 years um, at Gatorade working in various consumer marketing um, roles for both the, the domestic business as well as the global business. Um, and then prior to that had worked agency side in um, public affairs, uh, public relations and crisis communications. And when um, I was approached by the, the search firm handling the Cubs job, it was really interesting because it's um, you know, both marketing for the Chicago Cubs as well as Wrigley Field, as well as ultimately understanding sort of the broader enterprise of what our ownership, the Ricketts family, um, you know, represents and, and controls. And the some of the past experiences that I had had in public affairs and lobbying, working with sports team owners and all their varying properties in Chicago, um, some of the experience that I got at Gatorade, obviously, with kind of um, traditional classical marketing as well as sort of sports sponsorship um, and partnership negotiation, all of that really culminated in, you know, me kind of being able to check all of the boxes that they were looking for Cubs side. And I think Skate and I have talked about this, about this a lot that I think sports teams have successful brands sometimes despite themselves uh, because they are sports teams and people have such passion. And in the sports world, a lot of times marketing is just folded under ticketing or partnerships and really sales and marketing aren't differentiated. It's all sales. And I was really lucky. I had a 
rogue woman who had um, the job I had before I had it, who came again from a, a CPG background and really professionalized marketing at the Cubs and helped the organization understand that you're looking for brand builders um, and people who can really harness the passion that, you know, fans naturally have for their teams um, by, you know, doing more than just thinking about how you sell them tickets, um, especially in a world where the content that we have is the content that that people want to see. Um, so I'm, I'm very lucky that I think the Cubs were pretty progressive and kind of understanding the nature of um, marketing at sports teams needing to mature to catch up with with other big brands. Um, and then I would say my rogue moment wasn't probably actually the smartest decision I ever made. The most logical and rational decision I ever made was to move out of a global role at Gatorade where I was traveling every week with two small kids at home to staying in Chicago and working for the Cubs, um, in another amazing brand. So I wouldn't say it was a rogue move to, um, to go to the Cubs, but my rogue moment came at Gatorade. Um, maybe four or five years into uh, my job there, our creative agency, TBWA Shiat Day, presented this incredible idea for this um, platform called Replay. And it was, you know, long and short of it, it was about going back and finding classic high school rivalry games that ended in ties. And 10, 15 years later, bringing the players back, training them with our products, and then having them replay the game to settle the score once and for all. And all of this was going to be documented. And this came about at a time that branded content didn't really exist yet. The only brand that was doing storytelling around their events at the time was Red Bull. And I am not good at coming up with good ideas myself, but my superpower is I know a good idea when I see one, and then I make sure I get to be part of it. Um, so that idea from our agency, I went into my boss's office and I said, I want to work on that. And I think that there could be something to this notion of brands telling stories instead of brand advertising. Um, and she said, well, why don't you write a job description for what that job would be? And so then that night I wrote a job description. I took it to her the next day and said, this is the job create if we think that Gatorade wants to invest in telling stories versus just delivering ads. Um, she said, give me till the end of the day. And then at the end of the day, she came up to me and said, okay, this is your job now. Um, and so I share that only because for me, my world was like raising a hand when there was something I wanted. But number two, I don't think that it would have played out the way it did if I didn't have another rogue woman um, who also had my back. <laughs> um, so that's something I think, you know, hopefully we can we can all take forward is reading down. And when you see a rogue move by another woman, take a hand and help her up. That's awesome. Um, I've, I've got a this will be impossible to answer quickly. Uh, but I wanted to ask each of you what you think is next for sports. Uh, clearly right now, no one's on the field, nobody's on the pitch or on the court. Um, how is that making you rethink uh, the future to a certain degree? And, and Mel, maybe we'll start with you because you're now looking at this from the VC lens. Uh, and your, your job is to spot the mm -hmm. future. Uh, so, uh, start to you and then we'd just love to hear what you guys are thinking knowing that none of us know what's next but just just to kind of crystallize some of your thoughts right now on uh, what's going on sure yeah I do think there is a silver lining to this moment and, and one of the reasons why I made the untraditional jump from a, a very comfortable corporate job to VC is 
you know, when you do work in that environment of serving elite athletes or people who can afford to buy your brand, um, in the case of the Nikes and Adidas, you sort of realize um, that the best products and services and experiences, especially in sports, are really reserved for those who can afford to play there. And that disparity is really troubling. And so I like the idea of starting from the beginning of the next Nikes and the next headspaces and the next companies that are going to be defining the sports and fitness landscape um, and figuring out how to build a different perspective in around access from the beginning. So accessing, um, you know, and serving different communities that maybe could never afford to play sports um, were maybe never surrounded by good role models in that space, providing the coaching and product that, again, I think is only reserved for the elite. And I was, I was reading yesterday about what's happening with youth sports right now. So many kids who are not going to be able to participate in sports for all kinds of reasons outside of the obvious dangers of being in public groups together. But I am also really optimistic about all the um, sales of fitness products, whether that's just uh, gear so people can play at home and in their backyards or online coaching tools and fitness programs, things that don't necessarily need to be expensive, but can provide sports at a time when I think people are reevaluating their values and how important health and wellness should be. So it's a really interesting time to be a VC, but I, I actually think we will come out collectively as a culture a little bit more focused on um, why it's important that everyone have access to sports. Awesome. That makes sense. Skate, what, what is your thinking? I know when we talked beforehand, we, we were talking about cardboard fans and, and digital screens. And, I mean, what, where's your head on all this, uh, knowing that you've got a couple different vantage yeah. points? Right. Well, it's interesting. So throughout the COVID side of things, you know, right before COVID started, I was still on, you know, like Fritzy and I were both on, you know, the, the professional side of things, the professional club side of things and looking at it from that lens and trying to predict the future of sport from that side. And where's ticketing going? What is, you know, broadcast and content going to look like? Um, you know, what is the stadium tech going to be like, you know, and then now being more on the consumer product side of it, it's, you know, similar to what Mel was saying, it's about, you know, the youth participation in sports is extremely important. Um, and it's not only to get out and play and to be, you know, healthy, but it's also to create the fandom. Um, and I think I read something the other day that it's like youth sports is a $20 billion industry. And I think they're predicting it to be 4X by 2026. For context, I think it's the NFL is around 16 billion. Major League Baseball is 10 billion. So obviously youth sports is a massive industry. Um, you know, I think you know, the way I really do look at those six buckets of, you know, there's the stadium tech side, you know, what do people want to experience when they get back into the building? Are they going to want to get back in there? What precautions do you have to take, which leads to actually think roles within uh, sports organizations are going to start to evolve. Um, they started to evolve to be sustainability focused. I think you're also going to see like the hygiene and health side of things as well. So you're going to have this, you know, those are going to be two areas where I could see it evolving. Um, I think athlete tech, um, is going to evolve as well. Um, you know, everybody's always striving to be faster, stronger, more fit, more skilled, um, mental side of things as well. Um, you know, similar to what Mel said with the headspace side of things, you know, your, you know, the, the mental side of the game, uh, is, is just as important as the physical side. You can't have one without the other. Um, I think that, you know, broadcast and content consumption, uh, that's going to be, I think that's a multi, multi-million, multi-billion dollar question of, uh, you're starting to see consumers uh, and fans 
you know, they produce their own content around these events. And is it, you know, alternates, you know, broadcast or second screen viewing? And where is that going to go? Uh, they want to sit there and, and consume the entire match or game. You know, NFL, it's four hour, four hour experience. Um, it's a lot of it's a lot of time. Um, and I think COVID has also made us all realize, you know, purpose is even more important. Um, and so how we use our time, when and where we use our time. So that's why I think the broadcasting content is really going to evolve. And then, you know, then there's the other side of things of the role with esports and what's that going to play, especially I think COVID's amplified that because more and more people are gaming now. Um, but you also see the skills that esports can provide like athletes once they actually get onto the pitch. You see a lot of uh, like youth, they become, and especially in soccer, they start playing FIFA first and then they want to go out and play. Um, you know, so I think it's, I call it the fidgetal experience. It's how, you know, how can sports uh, blend the fidgetal or the physical and the digital, you know, experiences together. So there's a number of areas where it's going to evolve, but I do think it comes down to those six buckets. Um, and, you know, I think Mel's in a really, really exciting place because because she can kind of dive in and, and start investing in, in some of these progressive thinking, you know, groups. Um, you know, I'm in an exciting spot because it's, you know, how can you leverage Adidas, uh, you know, to grow access to sport and participation in sport and inspire people to want to play sport. Um, and then you got Fritzy that's uh, she, she's got the, you know, how do you get people back in, in the, in the stadium, but then you also have to make a, a sports organization shouldn't just be a 18 or 30 or 60 day or however many major league baseball has way too many games, how many games that is a year to be a 365 brand. And so how does it evolve lifestyle versus just a match day brand? That's awesome. And Lauren, that's a great transition to you. Do you want to weigh in with your perspective on, on what's next? Um, yeah, I mean, I think my personal perspective is that um, sports is going to be as significant and important to society when we come out the other side of all this as it was before. Um, and a lot of the research that you would see, you know, demonstrates that and shows that. I think um, a lot of the behaviors that I think will stick again, from my point of view, aren't necessarily new behaviors. There is maybe trends that I think are going to be accelerated as a result of all this, especially when it comes down to the adoption of technology um, and the way people are, um, are using it and engaging with it. But the good news for us at the Cubs is I mean, we were already kind of on a journey to move from just thinking like a baseball team to behaving as an entertainment property. And so I think a lot of the strategies that we were putting into place to um, allow us to make that are going to be more relevant than ever. Um, when it comes to venue experience, obviously that is a huge part of our revenue and will always remain as such. There's going to be a couple things that we'll have to be highly conscious of this value. I think people are going to be a lot more sensitive to the, the value of things. Um, and you know, you know what I mean by that, not just the price, but the, the value of the experience that's being delivered. And so yeah. there's a lot we're going to need to think about there, um, especially when it comes to the broadcast, because that's obviously the other big chunk of our revenue. And knowing that people are boards at, you know, crazy rates right now and not necessarily opting into streaming services um, at the same rates they were a year ago. Uh, it does seem like in the future there could be a lot more um a lot more broader consumption of sport, very much the way Gen Z does it, where they're not watching live games as much as they're just engaging in social and following what's happening. Um, so I think it'll be really interesting to, you know, not just kind of reimagine what the the in-venue experience needs to be for people to feel safe, also kind of reimagining how does someone engage with your game and your product, knowing that some of these 
new habits are going to stick. That's awesome. Yeah, and I mean, I think I was asked the question about, you know, what's next was forced on, on our end. And I just look at the the Jordan documentary right now, The Last Dance, like the, the viewership yeah. numbers that's playing. And there's not a there's not a second of that that's live uh, or that people don't know about. Uh, and it just shows the, the absolute passion people have for sports and that it's more than a game. Right. It's a lifestyle. It's it's where we identify. Um, so I, I think the future is bright, although evolving. Um, so thank you all so much for for taking the time to chat with us. If you're interested in how to futurize your business with inventive emerging solutions or have a startup venture we should watch, please email us at info at venturefuel.net. And for breaking opportunities, please follow us at VF Insights. Thanks so much for listening.